start. This call is being recorded. And I'm gonna um, uh, present the panelists. And of course, uh, thank you very much for being here, um, especially for being uh, here this early. Or um, also, I think in Europe it's not that early, but um, it's kind of late. Um, so thank you for being so early, so late, depending on which time zone you are. Um, so as I said, uh, this, this recording, this um, activity is being recorded um, and it's also being organized by the Museum Computer Network uh, Europeana and OpenGLAM. Um, a short reminder that the call for proposals for the Museum Computer Network Conference is open. And I know that Margaret is here and she will be um, uh, sharing um, some information about that and about the special interest group on IP. Um, so we're going to share a transcript afterwards. So watch out uh, our social media and regular communications channels, since that's where we'll be posting the information. Um, and if you've signed up with Evan Bright, expect an email from us with the transcript of the session afterwards. Um, of course, the idea of this panel is also to allow for questions um, and doubts that you might have that you might want to explore with the panelists. So please, uh, if you have a question, we'll be monitoring the side chat. Um, and so that way we can pick up the questions that you can make to the panelists. Or if you want to bring examples or share whatever you feel appropriate. Um, you can also jump in with your mic, uh, but it's easier if you just say hand on the side channel and we can give you uh, some way. Um, and now I'm going to go ahead and introduce the panelists that are with us today. And thank you again. Um, we have Mika Shi uh, Conway. Uh, she's the Associate General Counsel at the Shi Paul Gerrit Trust. Um, and she's also an open access proponent and copyright and tax geek. Um, I love that description of copyright geek. I think this call is full of uh, copyright geeks. Um, we also have with us in Ann Yang. Uh, she's the Director of Legal Affairs and Intellectual Property at Newsfields. Uh, and she's also the editor of Rights and Reproductions, the Handbook for Cultural Institutions, uh, second edition. Um, and I personally think that more of that in the handbook, it should be called the Bible uh, for cultural institutions. Um, and we also have Alexandra Strelich-Cholska. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, she's the senior, senior online marketing specialist at the collections engagement team at the Europeana Foundation. Um, so thanks again for being here with us today. Um, and we have prepared uh, some questions uh, just as an icebreaker um, for starting the conversation. Um, and basically, the first question that we have around this social media, especially with so many institutions now engaging online, is uh, what are the policies that guide the usage of media for your social media accounts? Um, I don't know who wants to start uh, on this one. Maybe Alexandra? Yeah, so for us, the situation is a bit special in the way that we are giving access to content from different institutions across Europe. Um, and of course, there are um, different laws. They were all the stuff was digitized um, in different ways. But luckily, each of the records on our site um, has 
uh, licensing information so we know exactly how they can be used and how. And specifically for social media platforms, we have a short uh, set of guidelines. It's a very short document, four pages long, um, but includes enough of information. And according to this document, what we share on social media is content that is freely, freely reusable, which means public domain, CC0, CC BY, CC BY SA, I know if uh, maybe can be under discussion. Then uh, content which is with an NC component um, cannot be shared on social platforms because it's in conflict uh, with terms and conditions of those platforms. I think we'll discuss uh, much more about this later because it's interesting and it's complicated. And then for uh, content with a no reuse statement, we seek individual permission, but because it's hard to try to stick to the open content. I can jump in about the Getty. Um, you know, we have a pretty robust social media program. Um, I'm hoping that our um, head of uh, digital content strategy is going to be in the audience um, and can correct me if I misspeak. But we we have, uh, you know, we're not just the Getty Museum. We have got the Research Institute, Conservation Institute Foundation, um, and we everyone's got their own different social media accounts and some of the programs have multiple ones on different platforms, but we, it's definitely a designated job function. You know, only certain staff um, are allowed to manage those social media accounts. And, you know, we try to put a, an overall brand wrapper around it. Um, we have a policy for creating new accounts. Um, our, our social media policy has really just focused on, you know, keeping personal and private or sort of personal and professional activities separate on one hand, and then just guidelines about content, tone, um, you know, following copyright, you know, our social media isn't just, we're not just posting content from the collections, but other kinds of content. Um, but we definitely, you know, if it's, if the, if the material, if the collections material, the glam collections material are, in copyright, we do it only if we have a license or if we have a good fair use case. Um, otherwise, it's a lot of public domain material. And then also as a private foundation, content-wise, we've got to steer clear of certain political and, and lobbying uh, activities. Yeah, I can uh, a lot of that for new fields that it's very similar in our efforts. Um, any of our posting to social media is broadly governed by our intellectual property policy, as well as our social media policy, which institutes a lot of the same that, you know, we only have certain staff um, within our marketing and communications team that are authorized to be uh, developing the content for our different social media channels. Um, and we have, you know, guidelines as far as, you know, creating a new, any new accounts and what that looks like for the branding and the new field's voice. Um, and of course, following um, all copyright laws, um, licensing on many occasions or looking to where we already have broad, non-exclusive licensing agreements with different artists and works in our collection. 
Um, but also then working, you know, to see where we do have the opportunity for a good fair use uh, utilization or um, otherwise, you know, we are looking at, you know, maintaining those relationships either with donors or artists or their estates um, and often, you know, looking at, you know, seeking, seeking permissions. Um, and that can make a difference as well in looking at that with, you know, are these just regular posts on a social media account or is it a post that we're looking at that is going to be uh, a paid post and promotional um, in more capacity um, and going to be more promoted promoted on the different channels as well. Great so basically um, so um, and how do you do, for example, like how do you put some of these principles of the policy into practice? Do you have like any examples that you want to share or um, some examples that you have seen of people applying it correctly or incorrectly? I know that for a lot of people it's complicated to do attribution on social media. And so I would be curious to know how do you handle uh, specifically that part? So yeah, the thing that we're fighting, I find with my team, because um, it, it can take up valuable uh, character space. Um, but especially if it is ever a post where we, um, you know, are going to rely in some way on fair use, including that attribution is another way that helps strengthen our stance for fair use. So uh, really pushing of, you know, what are, you know, shortened captions and credit lines that we can include where, you know, we're, we're pulling things out like artist nationality, life dates, materials, and things like that, that can make credit lines longer. Um, but then also recognizing that we also have some works that, you know, just even the donor credit line is three miles long. Um, so working with them on, you know, where there can be the main text and then the subsequent uh, credit lines follow. Um, Twitter tends to be the hardest in that. Um, so it's a lot of working with reply tweets and creating that chain. Um, but uh, the social media team that we have and our marketing communications have become very good at including that information um, and knowing that uh, whether we're reliant on, you know, often if it's something that we are working with a license, that is a requirement of that license, having that information or for fair use, helping to support that you know, having that attribution be present. Um, so I know that that was something that, you know, uh, re really making sure we include that, but then having cases where we are very conscious of wanting to, you know, I guess being a little more risk adverse and making sure that we seek a license and have approval. Um, a, a recent example was uh, that we recently posted a kind of behind the scenes video um, on our accounts of, uh, recent installation that took place just before we actually closed to the public um, that was showing the behind the scenes installation process that occurred over several days uh, to install a large Fletcher Benton sculpture. And being conscious that not only were we showing a work that's under copyright, but also, you know, we, we were showing a little bit of the uh, inside the golf ball here that, you know, showing how this piece was in multiple pieces and how it all comes together and gets installed and put together um, and being conscious of his wishes for the representations of his work 
prior to his passing last year, but then, and then which has been carried on by his studio and his estate. So really making sure, you know, kind of keeping our social media team at bay that, you know, they really wanted to share that content, but kind of holding them at bay until we knew that we had all the approvals in place and that they were okay with that representation as well. Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's perfect. Alexandra, do you want to go ahead? You had also some thoughts to share on that. Uh, yeah, so for us, uh, similarly, Twitter is quite tricky. We usually either post uh, images where we just try to give as much of uh, as possible a link for a piece of editorial that is published, then we make sure that within the body of this editorial, all the credit information is included and we just use a short link uh, to link people to it. What I wanted to share and I find interesting is Instagram. So because of the linking issue, we were quite late to the game actually with it because of course the content we are sharing is not ours. These are other institutions from uh, across Europe with only give access. So we were hesitating when we just started. We were like very careful about sharing just public domain, CCO, and where the institution was also um, active on Instagram. We always tagged them, and this is something that we do. Also, they know we share their stuff, and um, that now we have this link in bio actually landing page so when you click there you can actually find back the post that we posted and just scroll down and from there you can click through and just find every record page so this was our way to be active on insta and um, provide the information according to our own standards Uh, I would echo a lot of what Anne said, um, and I would welcome if Annalisa, who my colleague who is on the call, wants to jump in either on the phone or in the comments. Um, but you know, it is it is a challenge because their space is limited. But I I have gotten comfortable with a um, you know most of our posts are driving you back to you know they're highlighting something that we're doing. It's a show. It's a it's a press release or it's a, an object page or something. So we're, we, we're trying to push the traffic to come back to our website. Um, and there is where all of the stuff will be, you know, unless I guess in some cases there might be a license that has more strict re, um, requirements, but you know, if, if someone has stand, signed our standard license or if it's public domain, obviously it doesn't matter. But, you know, if there is an attribution requirement um, that we try, we will try to work, you know, some version of that into the, into the post itself. Um, I think we finally moved away from ARS wanting us to actually embed the image in the in the photo itself, um, but uh, that that may there may still be some legacy aspects of that. But but it is a challenge. But like I said, I I'm sort of comfortable if the information is one one click away. Yeah, I can yeah. add to that. This is Annalisa. Um, uh, it's interesting hearing people talking about using Twitter threads and you know putting the caption in an additional tweet. Um, traditionally in the past, we have, um, like Mika said, we have embedded it in the image canvas. We've extended the image canvas and added the required lender or credit line, but it's that's a bit awkward visually and it also alters the image slightly. So it's not a great solution. Um, so um, 
sort of looking to do something a little bit better. Um, one thing um, Mika and I had talked about a little bit is we came up with a new solution for our, when we redesigned some pages on our website to avoid captions, we have the metadata embedded in the image and it's one click away from the, from the actual full caption. Um, but we haven't yet fully implemented that on social. So something to discuss a little bit more perhaps. Great. We have someone already asking a question here, so um, I'll just go ahead and read it out loud. Um, Lee Nisbet is asking, I'm interested in hearing about the workflow within your institutions. Do you review social media posts which include artworks before they go live? Uh, not necessarily every single one. Um, and that's where we've done a lot of recurrent training and with our marketing communications team and, uh, you know, developing like our social media policy and having things in place that, you know, we, we have a pretty good amount of trust in them and what they're drafting and putting out. And usually if they're embarking on a broad new campaign or effort or something that kind of really deviates in some way from anything that we've done in the past, usually they'll reach out um, just to double check and say, hey, you know, are we completely off, you know, off base on this one? Or is this something that we would be okay in following what our standard procedures are? Um, but just with the responsiveness and planning with social media, I don't even want to think about the headache of if we had to review every individual post. Um, and be responsive. But um, usually, you know, again, a lot of that tends to be, you know, around a campaign for an exhibition or we're highlighting things within our collection or reinstallations or certain, you know, programming and efforts. And so, you know, we've already been part of some early discussions and plans around stuff. Um, or with special exhibitions, we already have a pre-approved set of imagery that can be utilized um, around that, uh, that, you know, was done months before, you know, those social media efforts are actually being done. So, um, but yeah, uh, don't even want to think about reviewing all of the individual ones. There's definitely a workflow for us, but like I said at the beginning, only designated people are allowed to manage those accounts. And they're, they're again, and like Anne, I, I trust them, you know, and there is a good there, there is ongoing training, um, you know, it's an, and then I feel comfortable that people um, generally know the rules and, and if there are questions they bring, they do bring them to me. So if there's, if there is a question about whether something can be posted online, um, there's also people, you know, embedded in the programs and Annalisa, you know, who are, who are very savvy about this and, and a lot of those questions, they never even make it up to me, but, but I do get involved from time to time, but I'm comfortable that we have good controls um, and systems in place. Um, around what gets posted. So from the point of view of a person posting, um, I have freedom to decide. And of course, uh, following the guidelines, it's not checked on a like, daily basis because it would be just impossible. And within our team, 
which is responsible for uh, creating editorials on social media. We make sure that, for example, within a blog, we always try to have an image that's open that we know that I quickly can just pick up and use on social media without like major searching. So this is something that um, helps a lot. And thanks to my colleagues who are also here. about like specific campaigns, I would always ask the what but because sometimes when there are like pieces of content that for example change the line sense and I didn't notice they are like hey can you take a look I think there is something wrong there so um in general on a daily basis not but in, we try to keep each other informed and control our more tricky cases great I think, um, Alexandra, I think your uh, audio is breaking up a bit. Uh, whenever you talk, I don't know if that's the situation for everyone, but at least I'm like receiving it a little bit bad. Um, so I, I don't want to tell you like to um, turn your video off, but maybe that will help with your interventions because I feel it's breaking up a, a little bit. Um, so, um, so what about, I know that we have um, other questions. Um, yeah, so it's it's breaking up a bit. Um, I know we have other um, questions here, uh, but I wanna make sure that we actually answer this one because I think it's important and all of you have already signaled it as important and we received a question earlier about this, um, which is about the terms of use or service or conditions of social media. Um, what are the things that you should be considering when posting content to social media in relationship with their uh, terms of use and um, or surveys and conditions? Well, you should read them. Read the terms of use. They're different for every platform, but generally speaking, you know, the poster, they assume, the, the, the platform will assume that as between the the platform and the poster that the poster owns the copyright or controls what they're posting and the platform won't claim any ownership of it but it will say that by posting you are granted you know that a that you're 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 giving your sort of guarantee that you have permission to post it that you control the content and all of the necessary rights including not just copyright but rights of privacy and publicity, say, for people who are depicted, or rights of trademark, um, music, you know, if it's a video, uh, basically you're just, you're taking full responsibility for, for having all of that um, and being able to give the platform that license then to display it and, you know, share it and make it, you make it, you know, do whatever they're going to do with it within the functionality of the platform. So for us, it does really limit. Um, and as Alexandra said at the beginning, you know, um, those, those terms, that's, that's a very broad license. And that, that means you can't, um, you can't necessarily post a lot of things that you don't have permission for. So it is very restrictive, you know, Great. And um, what do you do, for example? So someone also asked, for example, if you share um, 
a work that is under a CC by um, uh, under a Creative Commons license um, attribution non-commercial. Um, for example, what happens with the terms and conditions um, of the social media? How do the do the license and the um, uh, terms of service interact in these cases? Uh, well, you know, to the extent the platform is is commercial and and you're giving the platform by the terms of service say that you're giving the platform, you know, license to use it for their own marketing purposes or commercial purposes, you know, then that would really that would not be within the 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 spirit of the of the non-commercial license. Um, because when you use something under CC by NC license, you know, the requirements are basically that you act, give attribution, which is possible on the platform, but also that you only use it for non-commercial purposes. So, um, I mean, you can debate, you know, the, the extent to which, um, you know, what's commercial because the license doesn't define it, but, um, but uh, you know, the, it, there's room for interpretation, but I think, you know, that the, the conservative view would be that posting on, on a social media site like Twitter um, would be, Granting, if not itself a commercial act, granting a license to, to others to use it for commercial purposes. And that would not be with, consistent with the license. An example of this kind of commercial use would be, for example, you put a post and you think it's an innocent post, no problem with that. But actually the commercial platform is using the reaction of the users to build their profiles and then th those profiles will be used to maybe sell them products and it can be also related to you know what you are doing and like in a goodwill but still in the end there is someone making profit and according to the license you have no right to do it Great, and I know Sarah uh, Pearson was here. I, I saw her somewhere. So uh, maybe if she wants to intervene on that later on. Um, but um, we, yeah, Sarah is here. So feel free to jump in um, if you want to on this question because yeah. it affects the CC license. Yes, go ahead. I, I would be happy to. Um, so several years ago, uh, Creative Commons uh, spent a, quite a bit of time doing analysis of terms of service of different platforms on this issue. And so I, I read many different, <laughs> more terms of service than I would like to admit. Um, I guess one thing that we came away, I, or a takeaway that I came away with after that analysis, we ended up talking to legal counsel at um, Twitter and other platforms, I'd have to look back to see exactly which ones um, which ones we did speak with. But I will note that we never spoke to in-house counsel that had that very literal and strict interpretation of the terms of service there that, that you, so almost every set of terms um, requires that you either own the copyright or have the rights to use it. And we found that generally speaking, like I said, no one came out saying that that would mean that you have to, um, that you wouldn't be able to upload CC license content that you don't own. Um, the NC interpretation is interesting to me as well. I mean, I 
I think to the extent there's any issue, it's that the, the you know, it's an issue for the platform because they if anyone's commercializing there, it's the platform. And I think it, it you'd be really hard pressed to find that the uploader is somehow on the hook for the platform's commercialization of that content. Um, like I said, I, I guess I've never heard a platform itself make that argument. Um, I think it's a it's a really literal interpretation of the terms of service. And it seems it seems like a, it would be a very tough argument to make. Um, so anyway, that's that's all I would add is that from Creative Commons perspective, um, we tend to think about it as like you either own the copyright or you have the right to use it under under a CC license. You know, CC licenses don't allow sublicensing, so it's not that the uploader is granting a license to the platform. The platform is just arguably using it under the license, um, and you know. To the extent that there's a problem with NC, I would think it would be a problem for the platform itself. But I also understand that you you could read it, you could interpret it, um, that the uploader would be on the hook for it. But I've I've never actually heard that argument being made by by a platform. So that's all I'd add. Thanks, Sarah. Um... We also have a question from the public that I'm going to read now because I think it's important. Um, and also, like, I'm pretty sure you have all great examples here. So, Shadin Yang, I hope that I'm pronouncing your name correctly, is asking, what directives have you given your marketing teams about what can and cannot be used on social media? And my institution, there's no way um, for Mark, uh, com, I guess it's marketing and communications to see which ob have objects have copyright restrictions and they also don't have access to the image assets. So all collections IP team has to play a larger role. Is anyone else dealing with a similar obstacle or are you using products as, for example, um, dams to circumvent this issue? Well, we have a we have a digital asset management system that does have you know rights metadata in it, and a certain amount of rights metadata has to be associated with the object before it can be put into the dam. Um, I, I but Annalisa, if if you you know if she's willing to jump in, can speak more authoritatively on this. I don't I don't actually know where and and our people everyone does have access to it. You know, who needs it has access to it. Um, I don't know for sure that all of the content that we post to our website comes out of the dam. Some of it might come from, from other places, but um, in theory, that is, that's the goal is that, you know, the images are there and that the associated rights metadata is there so that people can, and I do trainings on this, you know, so how, how to read that and how to figure out if that's appropriate for you. Um, uh, but yeah, that is a problem if people posting to social media don't have access to the to the information about the right status, that's that seems like a a big um, yeah yeah. I, I can add um, just on the workflow side, how um, on the social media side, um, yeah, we're really lucky to have this uh, really uh, well implemented dams that has support from the IT side, but also mm -hmm. even more importantly, support from the rights and reproduction side. So this is particularly true with our <clears throat> the Getty Museum. 
uh, rights manager, Sherry Chen. So she's extremely detail oriented and she'll, she puts in extensive information about everything. Um, if it's restricted, it's restricted from download um, off, very often and uh, she would need to unlock the asset on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, there's also different fields for rights that we're all, like Mika said, that she trains us to read and understand. Um, for exhibitions, we also have a folder system in the dam. So there's a, a folder, for example, with all the uh, all the approved images for press um, and website. And then there's a subfolder with the subset of those images that's also approved for social. Often an image is approved for, for the web or for distribution to the media, but it's not approved for our own social platforms. It tends to be a subset, which is, you know, frustrating actually, but so, so it is. So um, communications and the rights manager work together to create that folder. And that's just, you know, a ton of work on all of their end. It's completely indispensable for us so we can know um, which things are approved. And of course, we also get involved in drawing up requests for what, when rights are going to be requested. So they're requested all as a package, which ones we think would perform well on social, which is can often be different from things that let's say the media relations team would prefer to distribute. So um, there's a whole, there's a lot of people involved in making that system work, a lot of time and effort. Um, one thing I've talked to Sherry about recently is sometimes it'll just say, call, call me <laughs> in the dams record, um, which is because there are just so many weird restrictions like, oh, well, this one's okay, but only at this pixel dimensions or only for, you know, until it, it can only has to come home at midnight, it can only go up for this long or, you know, there's every possible weird restriction under the sun on some contracts. And so um, writing every single thing out on every single asset is just completely time prohibitive in the dams, as selfishly as wonderful as that would be for those of us who have to use it. So striking a balance between completeness in the record and what someone actually has time to do on the right side to make the system keep going is kind of an interesting uh, conversation. Um, you wanted to add something on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, very similar. We've got an extensive digital asset management system um, that we have, that we, you know, have rights metadata in, um, and that's you know, my, my department working on adding that information and getting that and doing trainings with staff so they understand how to interpret that, read it. Um, and, you know, our marketing communications team have access to that so they can get to what they need. Um, but we also have, you know, prior to implementing that, it was a lot more hands-on um, and helping inform them and really, you know, also acknowledging the fact that there is a lot of work that goes into that rights research and rights management and sharing that information and that there can be other uh, things that aside from just copyright uh, that we need to consider um, in any given image where we could have something from perhaps um, when the work was acquired um, that there's contractual restrictions to a use that need to be considered um, or there could be you know issues of privacy or publicity or something that come up that we also need to layer in and think about um, that is you know harder harder to communicate um, and have all of that input uh, but then we also uh, very extensively uh, for special exhibitions often where uh, perhaps bringing in loans and things that are not in our collection, we 
try not to necessarily input a lot of that additional content into our dams um, just because it's, it's not not ours. Um, and we are, you know, licensing that and bringing it in for specific use or uh, either an exhibition or an event or a program and that'll be bringing a lot of it in. So we have a pretty extensive uh, folder structure that we have utilizing OneDrive where then we can have those image files and then also corresponding documents that include the caption credit information if there's any restrictions how it can be used how it can't be used um, and so then it's all you know kind of clearly packaged and then they can take it and when it's time to use it on social media in some way they can the marketing communications team can kind of take it and run with it um, but yeah it's it's a lot of work um, and it's, you know, even having something like a dams, it's still a lot to communicate and that there's always things that, you know, are, are not there and trying to always remind people in training that just because it doesn't say something there or it maybe looks blank does not mean that there is a lack of rights. It's just likely means that the research hasn't been done and we haven't gotten to getting that data um, input into the system. on the website um, should be okay to use for my team and to put on social media. So there is a team called Data Partner Services and they make sure that all the content incoming is um, in good quality, correctly licensed and um, according to our publishing framework. But for us to post on the website, we actually use the website. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I know that, um, like most of your museums, like especially, well, we have seen the Getty, but also Europeana, um, have done a lot of uh, engagement strategies with the artworks that are in the public domain. Um, and we we sort of know that social distancing is here to stay in a way, um, and at the very least until the whole situation with COVID. Um, get some sort of resolution. And so we know that several museums are now considering to invest more in their digital engagement strategies. So um, I have a question for all of you, and I would also love to know um, the opinion of Alexandra on this, because they have been doing um, several contests like Give It Up um, in the past. So what does exactly these digital engagement strategies mean for the legal department and for the social um, media guidelines that you have in general? Um, how would uh, this new investment on these strategies push the conversation for reuse, for social media strategies, for fair use, um, et cetera? I I would say, you know, at the Getty, we, I have not, there has not really been yet any kind of dramatic shift or anything um, that has changed, you know, legally in terms of our approach or our, you know, my perception of our relationship with the platforms. Um, maybe on the margins, there have been some cases where I'm taking a more expansive view of fair use, um, but you know, it's, it's been, it's really, you know, from a legal standpoint, I have not seen a lot of shift. I think it's much more on the content side and the, and the sort of strategy side of like 
what are the ways that we can engage the audience in a different way and what are some things that maybe didn't work so well in the past that are working better now? Um, Annalisa and I were talking yesterday about like our, you know, the, the whole uh, Getty Museum challenge of the make your own, you know, take three household objects and recreate a work of art, which, um, you know, pre-COVID, I think that team would have been like, oh, that doesn't work. Challenges are never a good idea. They always kind of fall flat, but now everyone's trapped at home. And so it did, um, it did take off in a way we didn't, um, expect, but I think we we also see that um, you know Annalisa and I were talking again that you know people may start to burn out on screens, and and so that's going to be in that you, we may see a drop off um, in the use of social media as a way to engage. I, you know, it's just it's a lot of a lot of content, a lot of people pushing a lot of content right now, and a lot of it's great, but it's just a lot and. Uh, but legally, you know, we, we haven't we haven't really changed our, our approach. Others may have. Yeah, we haven't really changed our approach too much either at Newfields. Um, yeah, from the legal side, I mean, copyright law hasn't changed. The practices and requirements around that, um, you know, no, nothing has changed there. So um, still needing to function within those frameworks and, you know, really falling back and relying on the policies and procedures we already have in place and reminding people in their rush, um, you know, what we have seen is that has been that huge push on the content side of what else can we get on social media? What can we get on our main website? And then, you know, promote on social media and push people back to the website um, in different engagement. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we've actually seen that has been additional work for Rice and Reproductions um, to review has been what content do we have that's digitally based that was perhaps already exists and was created, but when it was initially created, it was created for in-gallery use only. And how can we repurpose that? How can we get that on social media? How can we get that on our website? And needing to sit back and go, whoa, 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 we need to review all that again because either it includes content that was we had to license in order to get whatever pieces were part of whatever video or interactive that we created that we had to license, or it was stuff that, you know, we were very comfortable saying it was a fair use because it was going to be in gallery only and a limited audience. And so needing to sit back and assess and review all of that content um, and see what we can get online. Um, in some cases, you know, we have some things that we've been working on where, you know, we have very good relationships with some of um, the, the rights holders or uh, different artists or photographers that it was, okay, I think that they will understand what we're wanting to do here. And I doubt that they would charge us a licensing fee, but I just want to make sure that they're okay with changing this use that, you know, we had something that was very particular for in gallery only. And what does this look like now putting this online in some capacity? Um, but yeah, so it's not so much that any of the processes has changed, you know, legal requirements or anything have changed, um, but on the content side and then seeing what does that meant for an increase um, in just some different workload and having to revisit past work for just different applications and uses. So we didn't change anything, but everything we do all of a sudden became very relevant and uh, very important. And we are, um, trying to kind of be an example of um, how to do things online for the institutions in Europe. 
Um, so we produce more content maybe these days. We do more webinars, but workflows remain the same. We, of course, uh, try to do some stuff around the topics which are relevant. Um, but uh, things that like give it up, we did way before. And what I would like to say about that, what is interesting is not always the audience will understand immediately. So in Give It Up, for example, which is a gift making contest um, that we organize every year in October together with DPLA, Digital and Z and Trove. Uh, we ask people to make gifts from openly licensed content. There are always um, some submissions coming which are not openly licensed, but our choice is really to try to educate people so everyone who will send a submission, which is not correct, will get an email explaining what happened, why, is there an alternative? And they are invited either to redo the GIF with openly licensed uh, content or to seek permission. So I think this should be also an element you think about it when you do activities that actually Will you reject something that is incorrect if you have like contest or challenge? How will you deal with that? And there are a lot of questions and comments around right statements <laughs> on the side chat. Um, so there's quite a lot of interest on right statements. So maybe that's like something to consider for our next webinar. Um, and I know that Europeana has a lot of um, experience and Heidi is also there um, talking a lot about um, right statements. And I guess this is also kind of the biggest challenge as like Alexandra was saying around like educating your users on how to actually use some of this content. Um, so, like, do you have any um, guidelines or strategies uh, where you help your users uh, figure out how they can reuse that content that you're sharing? Um, at the Getty, we, you know, in, we started our open content program back in 2013. And at the time we decided, this was before I joined the Getty and my, my predecessor in the legal counsel's role, um, we, the Getty decided to, you know, sort of create a sort of custom set of terms of use um, and put a lot of content on the website about open content and what you could do with it and basically anything you want. Um, and, you know, we definitely have you know, tried to be as clear as possible with that. Over time, I think it's become clearer that it's not, um, it's still not as findable as we would like, you know, and so we are, um, we are interested, we are looking to transition over to using a CC0 to make it more findable. We're, we're not there yet, but, um, but we're getting there. Um, because I think, you know, in the time, in the intervening seven years, you know, I think Creative Commons licenses have gotten a lot more currency. Um, more people understand them better, although there's still training to do around that. Um, but I think, you know, the more we can use sort of a, a single set of internationally legible, machine readable 
terms that's probably going to help our users you know and we were planning to do that in combination with the right statements it is a challenge um you know to, to sort of clearly and concisely communicate something that especially for a copyright geek like me because is often so nuanced um but but uh and, and you know and and knowing sort of the reality that a lot of people don't actually read the fine print on things um kind of still gives you a little bit of pause around CC licensing, you know, pictures of people, for example, even though the, the license itself will say very clearly, this is not about rights of piracy or publicity, you know, there might be other rights inherent in this picture, it's just the copyright, just the, the users or the sort of person applying a license, just their copyright is implicated when you do that license. Um, that's not something necessarily that everyone gets. Yes, and I, I guess that it, like your comment on like other rights that are not necessarily copyrighted, like uh, takes me to one of the other questions that we have prepared for today that I think it's uh, worth um, briefly exploring. What is it, that it's also related to the challenge that the Get It did, that it's like, what are the other things that um, people might want to consider with the social media strategies and engagements? that uh, make user-generated content um, that might have other rights underlying that are not, not necessary IP rights, for example, uh, privacy issues. Um, how do you deal with those? Uh, well, I would, I would say with the Getty Museum Challenge, you know, people were posting that stuff themselves. Again, we, we don't know necessarily that everyone who who's in one of those, but that it was themselves, you know, they might've been posting pictures of other people, but again, it goes back to those, those terms of use, you know, when the user's posting to the platform, they are, they are taking the responsibility for saying that they've got the permissions and, and simply by posting it, assuming you're posting a picture of yourself, um, you know, if your profile's public, you know, you're, you're publishing it and, and sort of really obviating, um, privacy concerns, at least, you know, for yourself, assuming everyone in the picture is, um, knows they're in the picture and they're okay with, with it being shared like that. Um, that being said, you know, we, we did whenever we wanted to, and Annalisa can, can jump in, we, 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 whenever we wanted to feature one of those things or sort of retweet it or, or you know, we would, um, we would always, you know, we actually went above and beyond and kind of seeking permission, making sure that those users were okay with us featuring it, promoting it. Um, even though you could you could take the position, you know, that they've sort of consented to all of that just impliedly by participating in your challenge using your hashtag or or whatever. Um, so, you know, so we want to be respectful. I think I've seen noticed in the comments, you know, sometimes you, you go you you ask for permission even when legally you might not need it in some cases just to maintain a good a good relationship with your stakeholders. Um, but I, I didn't have any privacy concerns around that. Um, and I felt very comfortable again that our team was was handling um, our followers and 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 the participants really um, respectfully. And when we when we promoted it, you know, we 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 steered people towards our own open content. Like that's what we we were hoping people would use. Getty. We wanted people to engage with our collection, and we were pushing them to use the things that were not not restricted by copyright. Of course, a lot of people ended up doing stuff. You know, taking stuff from other museums, or you know, maybe public domain from stuff from other museums that wasn't necessarily open content, you know, where the museum hadn't made it open like the Louvre. 
um, or maybe they, they were um, riffing on copyrighted works, right? So we, again, we kind of, that's again, between them and the platform. Uh, but certainly, you know, our, our hope, we, we would never want to push our users to, <laughs> to infringe anyone's copyright, but, and, and, you know, we really wanted people to engage with, with our open content. Um, but we are careful to do that, like whenever we're creating these tools um, to really try to make sure people understand that, uh, you know, they do need to be mindful of the intellectual property status of the stuff that they're posting online. Great. And um, we have uh, some questions here on the side chat and we don't have a lot of time left. We only have uh, seven minutes more left. Um, and I'm gathering that Anne is having some connectivity issues uh, because I'm seeing her uh, on and off <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but basically uh, someone is asking if there some of these things could be under the educational use umbrella. Could it like some of this uh, sharing of content and um, engagement strategies be considered under the educational use umbrella? Okay, I will attempt to answer this and hopefully I stay connected here. Um, I think I didn't stay connected. <laughs> um, it's, you know, often, you know, so in the United States, you have things like the Teach Act, but if you, even though a lot of the activities of a museum or a library might be very similar to those and would be activities and things that would fall under the Teach Act for remote learning and things, um, it, it can be tricky because if you're not actually part of a university or a school setting, um, then, you know, it's, it's, it's really stretching that um, and having that interpretation. Um, and I think it's important to remember, you know, just because it's educational, that's part of your mission and you're not commercial, does that, you know, mean that it's fair use? Does it mean that it's something that you can um, proceed with without a license? So it's, it's a matter of risk management um, and making that assessment. Um, I know this really came up recently for us wanting to look at um, taking programming we have for uh, children um, that typically is on site and in person um, and reading children's stories and going, what does this look like if we want to turn this into a Facebook or Instagram live series um, to have this engagement for uh, with children for the to the museum? And if we read a book live, what is that? Well, that's a public performance and we, we need a license there. And so, you know, really assessing what do we, what books are we using and looking at, you know, some publishers uh, have, have granted broad licenses right now, um, given the current situation to allow public performances in these readings, but very specifically with, it needs to be something that's not fully recorded. It's not something that is posted on YouTube or on your website and fully available, that it needs to be a short one-time Instagram or Facebook live type event where it will be deleted after a certain period of time. Um, and so looking at to utilize content and 
books from those particular publishers, or in some cases, there have been some specific, you know, children's authors that we've been looking at that have said, yes, we're fine with this during this period and, you know, to have engagement where people don't have access to the physical books or be able to meet in, in, in person. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a matter of making that assessment and how risk adverse or not your institution is. Great. So we only have three minutes left. Um, I'm, I I want to give space if um, anyone has a question that uh, you would like to ask um, to um, Alexandra, Nika, Oren. Um, is there anything else you would like to ask them? That hasn't been responded. Or any final comments that uh, Mika or Alexandra want to share? I just I want to say um, that the, you know there's a lot of talk in the air around you know what does the pandemic mean for copyright and you know should we be making more exceptions and um, and you may have remember been following the sort of um, Thing about the Internet Archive and the National Emergency Library and the sort of back and forth between the publishers and Internet Archive. And um, I do want to caution and, and also remember there was a question that arose on the last call that you did um, sort of about, you know, exhibition ID, online exhibitions that could maybe be done now that, you know, we're all stuck at home. And I want to just caution, you know, I even though I am an open access proponent and I definitely um, feel that it is important to be measured about and think about what is it exactly about our change situation that might merit pushing boundaries of copyright. It's not it's not just that we're home, you know. It's not just that works are in another place because that's always been true, um, and that that we will be more sort of, you know, you'll have a stronger case for pushing the boundaries if it's really truly tied to the sort of facts um, and that the sort of unusual situation that we're in right now. Um, you know, there are ways in which I think the National Emergency Library, um, you know, I mean, the, the idea is laudable that like, if schools are really closed down and there's kids who need books to learn and they can't get to their libraries, you know, what can we do? I mean, the publishing community is responding to that too. You know, um, there, are, there, are, there are things that should be done, I think, to address that that need, um, but it, I don't think it necessarily means, you know, oh, kind of all, there's a, there's a lot of sort of all bets are off, you know, do what you want um, for this limited period of time. And I don't think that's quite the right um, approach. This is my personal opinion. Um, so I would, I would caution people to think really carefully about like, what is it about this project that's made harder or impossible by our current situation and not just the usual, well, putting stuff online is hard, you know, copyright, copyright is hard, uh, getting permissions is hard, um, or, you know, laborious. Um, that's always been true. Yeah, I definitely a plus one on that, Mika. Um, that is, uh, absolutely true and that you know while we are in this situation and things that you know at the end of the day the while there might be you know pushing some bounds and wanting to think about this you know to proceed cautiously because 
the laws themselves have not changed. Um, and so also going, you know, how far do we pull this back that when things, you know, are able to reopen and, you know, what policies and procedures in place um, and doing those risk assessments um, and looking looking at everything from Great. Um, Alexandra, any last thought that you want to share? I would say um, this pandemic is maybe a good moment just to think about the digital approaches, not necessarily throw things online, but kind of, you know, realize how many opportunities there are. And I guess in the future, of course, the museum is reopen and everyone will love going there. But maybe the next step will be something that merges everything we learned about the engagement and what people actually are able to do and want to do if they have time and like a good context with physical visits. So I think actually figuring out, not like pushing, but figuring out digital strategies, it's a good activity for this time. Great. So um, we are already two minutes uh, from our uh, finish time. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Anne dropped uh, from the call. Um, so I have to send her an email uh, saying thank you. But I want to thank you again, Mika, Alexandra, and Anne for joining us today. I think this has been great. Um, and I think that everyone here agrees that you uh, did a great job in answering some of these questions. And please, um, I know that Ariadna and Margaret were sharing their links to join the either the uh, special interest group uh, at the MTN or the copyright community in Europeana. Um, and please um, join there. We are going to continue having these conversations. Look out for social medias or different social media channels um, to know uh, when the next one is going to be held. And we definitely took note of um, having some sort of webinar around uh, rights statements. And again, thank you. Um, and we'll make the transcript available. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.